out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. I don't I haven't said the hello everybody loudly like I used to. Oh, in is a that a long time? Has it been? It's been a minute, I think. I don't notice. But we are um, doing good trash, but we're doing lots of movies this show. Yeah, I, I know what you're thinking. Hey, number one, why is this late? And number two, weren't you guys going to talk about the voices this week? Well, we were. Uh, but then we forgot that uh, Dead Center Film Festival was happening in Oklahoma City this weekend. And we also forgot that we had press passes. So uh, we did that instead. So we saw a bunch of other movies. We did. Um, and yes, we're uh, aware that not all of our listeners are um, local to the Oklahoma City area. But uh, we're going to give you a little taste of local flavor. So yeah, that, that we, we went to Dead Center. It was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday movie extravaganza. I got the chance to see seven in a... Two-thirds movies. Uh, I only got to see four. So Dustin was working hard Friday. Uh, I was doing my real job, so the one I get paid for. Uh, so I was only able to make it to one movie on Friday. We, we jammed the whole day full Saturday. Uh, and then Dustin was sick Sunday, and with Dustin sick, um, I let my, my body and my extreme distaste for crowds just overcome me. And I was like, I guess I'll stay home. Uh, which is what I did, and I played video games. But we had a, a really good time. Uh, this is no fault of the festival. This is a fault of Dustin's allergies uh, and a fault of me just being physically and emotionally drained by the end of uh, Friday. Uh, you'll hear why. Uh, we watched some heavy movies. That, yeah, we definitely did. And we saw some light, fluffy, fun stuff, too. We did. Uh, that's very fair. Um, it was a very good festival. This was actually my very first Dead Center. Um, I... I Individually bought a ticket for Electric Nostalgia last year. Uh, Friends of the Pod, uh, the Burns Brothers uh, film that uh, premiered at Dead Center last year. Very, very good. Um, I'm not even like, oh, it's good for an Oklahoma. No, it was, it was a good movie. It was not just good for an Oklahoma film. Uh, because that is a big part of the focus of Dead Center's programming. They really do focus on a lot of uh, local cinema. Um, primarily shorts, uh, but they always have at least three or four features that are from Oklahoma filmmakers, at, at the very least. Uh, and then a lot of smaller movies. Uh, we get a lot of stuff, um, uh, leftovers from South by Southwest and uh, Sundance. None, none of the big stuff you're seeing at Sundance, the stuff that's already come out of Sundance with a $10 million uh, distribution deal. Um, but, but the stuff that hasn't quite picked up distribution yet or maybe just got it through Amazon or something like that. So that's that's kind of the caliber we're working with. We had films like uh, The Hero starring Sam Elliott, which we saw. Uh, films like Dave Made a Maze uh, with uh, James Urbaniak and Nick Thune, which we were going to catch and unfortunately we're not able to. Uh, films like Infinity Baby with uh, Kiernan Culkin, Megan Mullally, Nick Offerman, Martin Starr, and Kevin Corrigan. Um, th that was another film we saw that we both liked quite a bit. Um, I would actually say it was my, my favorite narrative film. of. I saw two narratives and two docs. I wish I'd caught more, but of the, those, uh, it was definitely my favorite narrative film that I was able to catch. Yeah, yeah and I had a good time you know, seeing what we saw. I, I got to say this is the week of Nick Offerman for me. Oh, yeah, Nick he Offerman. Was in the hero and in Infinity Baby. <clears throat> well, him, him and uh, Megan Mullally um, definitely are known supporters and producers of independent cinema. And uh, so they frequently um, have films uh, at... Um, dead center not 
obviously because Meg Molly being an Oklahoma native, I think uh, the programming board definitely tries to pursue movies she was involved uh, with or is in as an actress. Uh, but yeah, her and Nick Offerman were producers on The Hero, and Nick Offerman's in it, and then they were producers on Infinity Baby, and uh, they were both in that film. Yeah, and I, what I love about Dead Center is it does have some genuine breadth. It does uh, try to be very sort of Oklahoma-centric, especially in terms of independent local shorts, as Dalton has already said. And, but that being said, that's not what it does exclusively. Yeah, and, it and tries to get Oklahoma, any, anybody, you know, Oklahoma talent working uh, out of L.A., uh, it tries to get you know people loosely connected, and then sometimes it's just like, nope, this is just a good film that we're interested in, and we really wanted to bring it here, or we were excited when it was submitted here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and generically, there's a lot of depth and breadth there. You know, one of the things mm, that Dead absolutely. Center gets sort of pigeonholed into is when, because of the word "dead" being in it, people tend to assume it's a horror film festival, and that is simply just not the case. There are horror films that are shown there. There are like B movie homages that are shown there. There are science fiction films. There are dark comedies. There are documentaries yeah, of the, a musical nature the, and the political nature. There's all kinds of films that are being screened at it's, this festival. It's Dead Center because it's you know dead center in the middle of the country right it's, a, it's a cute joke yeah i like it and i do too so we had a good time and we've recorded some live and dirty uh immediate reactions uh to what we saw so the audio quality will vary a little bit it will but um why don't you just tune in for just a few more minutes and uh, listen to our thoughts on a handful of films here at dead center we will advise you uh that uh, at the end of infinity baby we act like there's going to be more there's not there is not more after the end of our discussion with Infinity Baby, just uh, some, some, some lovely outro music uh, that was featured prominently as like the theme song of Dead Center from uh, local artists uh, here in Oklahoma uh, called St. Loretto. Um, so, yeah, there's some music after Infinity Baby, and then it's done. You can go home. There you go. Thank you uh, very much for tuning in, and we'll see you all next week with The Voices. And hopefully next year we'll see Dead Center Film Festival again. Uh, thank you once again to Dead Center for those, those press accommodations. It was very nice of you. All right, let's hear some words about some movies. Okay, dear listeners, well, here we are now uh, just after having seen The Hero. The Hero. The Hero. The Hero. That's the name of the film. It is the name of the film. Yeah, starring uh, Sam Elliott. Uh, with, um, I guess you could say co-starring, yeah, his co-star is Laura Prepon. Yeah, uh, I say From so. Orange is New Black, Black yeah. that 70s show. Um, and then we've got a supporting cast kind of real, uh, rounded out by Nick Offerman and Kristen Ritter. I mean, those were the prominent roles. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, I liked it. I liked it too. It's a, here's the thing. It's kind of a standard old sad bastard movie. Yes. Right? Um, and everybody's about Sam Elliott's age has done an old sad bastard movie. I mean, De Niro and Pacino have both done like four sad bastard movies each. Some of them are funny sad bastard movies. Some of them are action sad bastard movies. Some of them are fairly dramatic. Um, I feel like in the canon of sad bastard movies, this is a better one, though. I, I think so. I mean, this this feels very. Uh, my problem with it is it feels very Oscar baity. I don't think so. Uh, I think it feels very much like, uh, I was going to say independent film, but, you know, we're talking about an independent film starring Sam Elliott. Yeah. Who is, you know, not a, is a household name, kind of. I think he's probably more of a, I know that guy. Uh, he's somewhere between household name and I know that guy. Yeah. I, I think it's where Sam probably falls. Um, so I don't know if I'd go Oscar Beatty. Uh, I think it's smaller than that. Um, 
I, I know what you're saying, though, and I don't entirely disagree with that you. Whole, it's the movies. Don't we love the movies? Movies are dreams, man. No, I don't think it is. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it is uh, about movies. I think it's about... I, I think the movies are incidental. I think the movies are probably because this part was written for Sam Elliott with Sam Elliott in mind or somebody like him. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know that the movies are about... This film's about the movies very much, right? Because yeah, the, the movies feature prominently... The fact that Sam Elliott plays an old cowboy actor features prominently, but you know, there's this final scene, uh, without spoiling too much, where um, his friend, played by Nick Offerman, says, "Do you want to watch Buster Keaton?" And he says, "No, he's got other stuff going on." And I think, but he was watching Buster Keaton. He was watching Buster Keaton before, and I mean, that's there is a little bit of movie deconstruction of obviously with uh, Nick Offerman and Li- or Sam Elliott saying movies are other people's dreams, you know, lines like that and but I think really it's just about for how Sam Elliott feels about the work he's done. And and I think um I was trying to remember his character name. Uh Lee Lee. Hayden. Lee. Um I think it's less about how we as a culture and we as a society feel about movies and maybe more about how Lee feels about movies and whether or not the work he does feels like good hard work. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. But I also think that the uh, invocation of Buster Keaton, uh, who was unable to make the transition from the silent film slapstick to the sound film, is this, I was a, I mean, it's a great di- artist of another genre, this sort of... Of another art. time. Yeah. yeah. Which is what Lee's whole thing Certainly is, right? playing into that. And that is one of those things, singing in the rain style sort of motifs that Hollywood loves. Here's the thing I like about Lee as a character, though, is it's more of a Sam Elliott character. Right. right. He's not playing a Clint Eastwood type who was the guy, right? He's playing guy number three. You know, mm-hmm. he's playing fourth tier guy that had one real good one. And I kind of like that. I like the choice to make him not like a cultural icon. I like the choice to make him a character actor, uh, which I think Lee, the character Sam Elliott's playing, is a, a little less successful and a little less famous than Sam Elliott. Um, but. I, you know, they're in the same ballpark for sure, and I like that choice, right? Because I think this movie's less interesting if it's an exceptionally successful actor. Right, it's not, seen he's not Clint Eastwood. Yeah, right. we've seen that movie. Yeah. We've seen the old Sad Bastard movie with an old, sad, super successful actor. Um, it follows for me, and again, I, I want to go ahead and get into what doesn't work about this real quick. It follows the, the same plot points of every Sad Bastard movie, right? He's sad, he meets a girl... Sometimes she's younger, sometimes she's not. In this case, she is much younger. That rekindles his his fire a little bit, regardless of what the fire is for. Uh, and then the movie's over. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a really standard formula. Um, the I think what makes it not irritating the fact that the formula is so standard is Sam Elliott, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he acts the dog out of this movie. I mean, he's really impressive. He's doing some really, really good nuanced work. There's a lot of... Sam Elliott does so much with his face without doing anything. Right. You know, he doesn't have any quivers or ticks. It's all eyes and mouth. You know, it's all like how tight is his mouth and his eyes, how loose are they. You know what I mean? It, it's He's doing... He says multitudes by doing very little. Under that very thick, bushy stash. The stash helps. Yeah, it does The stash accentuates what, uh, what his, his mouth is doing, I think. And I, he's very good, though. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of Elliot in this movie. Um, there, there's a real palpable melancholy. And I, I don't... It's not like a full depression. It, it's 
melancholy was the word I chose because it's the most apt, right? It's a, it's a sitting out on a foggy morning kind of thing. He's it, it's complacency with feeling a little sad. It's mm-hmm. liking feeling a little too. It's liking feeling a little sad too much. It's kind of ennui, you know. There we go. Yeah, yeah that's that's a, you're right. Actually, it is ennui. It's, that's a way better word for it. Um, and he's so good at it. Yeah, he's so good at it. But there's also you know there's a depth of like of levity and a depth of sexuality. Mm-hmm. There there's a depth of of love. There there's a depth of, of humor to Sam Elliott's performance that I think is really beautiful. Um, and that's for me what elevates this movie. Do you feel similarly? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I think his performance just absolutely just knocks it out. And he brings so much emotion to everything he does, you know. And, and he's able to do both funny and silly and stoned. Uh, he does stoned a lot. Yeah. And uh, he's uh, also able to do this sort of like deeply churning, you know, emotional cauldron. And mm-hmm. he's, he's holding it all in. And you feel the emotion, but you feel like it's also being held back. And that, that, that sense of uh, regulatedness is really kind of fascinating and, and just amazing to watch. I want to jump in real quick. Uh, this is probably one of the bigger movies uh, that was at Dead Center this year, but uh, just in case you have no frame of reference for what this is, The Hero um, is a film starring Sam Elliott. We already kind of went over the cast, but he, he's an old actor. He's mostly doing voiceover for commercials now. He had one really great Western, but that was about it. Um, and he's just found out, and this is not a spoiler because it happens about ten minutes in, he uh, found out that he has pancreatic cancer. Um, and he, he's not in a good place with his daughter, doesn't really have a lot of friends, he's not getting any work, and it's he's working through, I'm maybe going to die. And yeah. that's really the crux of the movie, and then he meets Lord Prepon's character, I always fuck up her last name, uh, who is a stand-up comic who kind of takes a liking to him, and they end up having a, a fairly serious relationship. And then the movie's over. But I feel like maybe we should give you a few more plot points so you know where we're at with things. Um, Let me tell you what this movie is not, though. Okay. Because there is a kind of movie that I hate. The the life is worth is for living movie. The, the I bu- don't like those. The yeah. bucket list movies. You don't like them. This is not that. This is not that It's movie. not at all. You're right. And they, they, they managed to avoid that. And I so. thought that was very impressive. Brett uh, was the director's writer-director's name. I forget his last name. I'm not familiar with him offhand. No. And I'm not doing any research right now because we're doing these fast and dirty. Um... I, I was impressed by his direction and less so with his writing. Uh, just There is a quality to scene structure in this film that I do like that's kind of vignette You know what I mean? Uh, it's, this is the scene where Sam is, or where Lee is doing this. This is the scene where Lee is doing this. Right. I like that. Uh, it's how those scenes are put together that I'm less impressed with. Like, which ones go where, the structure of when certain emotional beats happen the choices of what some of the vignettes are, and I guess that's actually probably the better way to put it. I like the vignette structure. I'm less wild about what some of the vignettes focus on. Fair enough. Um, I will tell you this, though. There is a moment in the writing that I think is brilliant, and that is uh, the speech scene. The speech... The writing... Okay. Oh, okay. my God. Now, the two set pieces... Yeah, I'll, let, I'll lay it out. Let, let, the, this is what's brilliant about that. I want to lay it out for the and listener I, and, I, and I don't want to spoil it. I just want to say that the two really, like climaxes of the film, the two like set pieces of this very small movie, if you will, are Lee reading lines for a role he's been offered. And I'll just leave it at that, because you're right, I don't want to get too spoily. 
but go into what you were about to say because I want to see where if we're at the same place. The writing is brilliant here. Uh, I, I mean, the speech itself, content-wise, and the, the the actual lines he delivers and how it's all handled is all fantastic. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoy that. Th- there's a really good capture of tone for the thing that he's supposed to be reading for because it's he's he's reading for like a big young adult. Uh, screen adaptation, mm-hmm. and it sounds just like that, right? The, so the right, yeah, but that's not what you're talking. About. No, but I'm talking, talking about, about the actual the, the speech he gives at a uh, awards ceremony. Oh, that's what you're talking. That's about. That's what I'm talking. Oh, about. Oh, okay. So let's so, talk about this first. Okay, and what's brilliant about the script writing for this moment is it is a moment that is impossible to end. As we were watching this. Mm-hmm. And I was yep. thinking about, this is great, and I think it could be a train wreck, or it could be absolutely beautiful. I didn't know which it was going to end up being. Yeah. And as it was going, there is a moment where it moves to another one of these dream sequences that Elliot has throughout the course of the film. Yep. And it's a perfect way to end that It was scene. a perfect way to end You're that right. scene because there is no way out. And they had already written in this brilliant trap door by which they could escape. So yeah. it's a very smartly written film. You're, well, you're absolutely right. The way vignettes flow into each other is incredible. I mean, that, and that's what I meant by I like the vignette structure. And yeah. I like how they flow together. I just, um, as we were talking through it, I realized the thing that I, I didn't like was the content of the vignette sometimes. sometimes. But I like the way they flow. There, there is that kind of elliptical, kind of sleepy quality to one vignette to another that I really like. Uh, the moments that I wanted to talk about that I actually think are brilliantly written uh, are, are not the speech he gives at this Lifetime of Achievement dinner that he gets. It's the two monologues. Right, for the, for the, for the young adult Hunger uh, Games fantasy thing. Yeah. Novel, so yeah. He, there's two scenes. There's one, he runs lines with Nick Offerman, and there's another moment where he does the same monologue uh, for an audition, you know. Yes, Shades of Mulholland Drive here, obviously, right? The thing that I like about the choices is to... I like showing how good he can do acting. If that makes sense. I know that was a gross way to word it, but I... He do act good. (laughs) He he does very actorly acting very well. And that's what we see when he does it with with Offerman. Um, He does... It's a very good performance, but I think Sam Elliott is intentionally a little mannered in the performance of that moment. It's still moving. It moved me. It moved... Uh, Nick Offerman's character literally moved me while I was watching it. Yeah. The second one is so good because, and I I think what works about that writing is he's kind of high on the day and night that he's been having the first time and it's a little performed. The second time, the high is worn off and it's much more real, right? And you see him be incapable of doing the one thing that an actor is supposed to do, which is tap into the well of the gross stuff so you can give a little taste of it. And it gets too real. Mm-hmm. And when it gets too real, the performance is over. And it really, I think Sam legitimately is able to get to a place that is almost too real. It's a little bit realer than I think you would see in a lot of movies. And I think that's a, a really beautiful choice. Like, I just, where those two monologues fall in the movie, I think works very well. And I think Mulholland drives an apt comparison. Oh, I know. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the, the reason I thought about Mulholland Drive is for that exact same reason. Obviously, it's laid on much thicker. And Mulholland Drive. David Lynch is doing something totally different in that film. But it's similar in that we're seeing what this actor does with the same material when they're in different places. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, we talked a little a second ago about the depth of Sam Elliott's sexuality. Right? I guess I mentioned yeah. offhand. I, I think we need to talk about that. Because it's, it's troublesome. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, so Sam Elliott is having sex with Laura Prepon. 
uh, who is kind of both in the film and in real life ambiguously aged, which is a thing about her look that I like, just I like about her as an actress, is a kind of, the her age is super ambiguous. She has kind of an ethereal Tilda Swinton-esque quality. Yeah. Where it's like, that girl is 23. Wait, no, she's 50. I, wait, what? And I, it's it's a very... She's got a good face for this role. She looks way too much like Kristen Ritter, which is just gross. Kristen Ritter plays his daughter, and right. he's having sex with a woman who... I mean, they both have dark hair and dark eyes. And very fair skin. And fair and skin. And very similar kind of nose and jaw structure. I don't know about that, but okay. Uh, they both have strong jaws, and they both have very specific noses. Okay. Um, I think they look too similar. They both, fair. Um, it, it's weird, and... It underscores the bigger problem here, which is not that Sam Elliott has sex with the younger woman. That's fine. That's it's not that weird, right? And again, she's kind of she's she's older than his daughter, who is thirty four. She's still much younger than him, right? That is not the issue. The issue is that while this is happening, we don't really ever get to know her, and this is what I mean by the content of the vignettes. I don't like. We're meant to believe that this is a real relationship, not just two people who hooked up. But we never really get a sense of why they actually like each other, except for one, maybe two small moments, right? There's a moment where she quotes some poetry that she likes, that he really goes for. Uh, and then there's a, a moment where he is kind of very open and honest with her, um, and she gets to really kind of get a feel for wh- who he actually is. But other than that, I don't, I don't buy the, I don't, I don't understand why these two people are together. Is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, he, she seems to be into older guys. Yeah, she makes a couple and, jokes and, about yeah, it. Yeah, and then that she's attracted to. People yeah, she's attracted old. to him, but, but I don't understand why they're together emotionally. Yeah, and that's the, the movie ends up hanging so much on that. I really feel like we could have used more scenes with them to explaining their attraction. Because there's a lot of scenes with him just hanging out by himself. She's yeah. only in maybe four or five scenes. Not much. Now yeah. one of those scenes is very long. But they only have a couple of scenes together, and then by the end of the film, it seems like they are going to kind of make a go of a, a very serious cohabitating relationship. And I just don't buy it. Yeah. You know, I'm much more interested in his relationship with his daughter. I'm much more interested in his relationship with his ex-wife, uh, who gets two very short scenes. One that I really like. I could have stood for a lot more of both those characters. Yeah, and I, I don't. I'm not familiar with the, the actor who played his ex-wife. Um, and I could have done with more of Nick Offerman. Because I think their relationship is very interesting. Um, Nick Offerman being an actor who's okay that he's not an actor anymore. I didn't really care. And Sam Elliott who really seems to be having a hard time with that acting didn't pan out the way he thought it would. Um, you know, he's having a lot of guilt over, like, playing these rugged guys and not really feeling like a rugged guy. Um, and I think that's interesting, the, the juxtaposition of that with Offerman, who just kind of is okay with who he is. I'm m- much more interested in that than his relationship with with his girlfriend because again I understand why him and Offerman hang out right I don't understand why him and Laura hang out you know it's it just doesn't quite click that's fair again I get why they have sex I mean she's attracted to him he's attracted to her they have good chemistry yeah they do they, they do really have really do. good chemistry I don't get why like they are emotionally like gonna open up with each other other than that she's there mm-hmm. and they had fun and she made him feel young and that's gross, right? I'm not interested in that movie. A little bit. And yeah. I don't know enough about her, and I want to be interested in her. I don't know enough about who she is. All I know is that she's a comedian who likes poetry and is hot for an older guy. Older man, yeah. That's all I know about her. 
And that's kind of frustrating when so much of the movie ends up being hung on that uh, May-December romance. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably... The January-December romance. January-December. Well, it's not quite that bad. It's not quite that bad, but yeah. Yeah, because I think... I mean, she seems to be... I forget how old Laura actually is, and that's irrelevant. Uh, She seems to be playing late 30s to maybe mid-40s, but probably not. Probably not, though. Um, Because... So, really, the age difference isn't that gross. It's not. It's that so much is hung on their relationship. That's what's gross. Because they don't seem to have a real relationship within the context of the movie. Uh, And again, for me... It's once again all highlighted by the fact that uh, the actresses portraying his daughter and girlfriend look kind of similar. Yeah. And that's a little weird for me. Other than that, though, and, you know, the kind of formulaic and generic things we've already talked about, I I do go for the movie pretty... You know, what, I'm going to tell you I cried a bunch. That's not surprising. It's me. That's irrelevant to whether or not a movie's good. I cried a bunch, too. Yeah, but my my cry... I cry at bad movies, too. Yeah. Um, and I don't think this is a bad movie. Uh, I don't think it's a great movie by any stretch of the imagination. I would say that Sam Elliott, though, is ch- teaching a God-level master class. Mm-hmm. And he elevates an otherwise pretty good movie that has some really interesting structural choices. And he's elevating it by a lot. Uh, but at the end of the day, I still think it's pretty good. It's, it's an actually movie. It, it, it's a movie that when it comes around to award season, we're not going to see it being nominated for Golden Globes or Oscars for Best Picture, but we may indeed see Sam Elliott get no. some nods. No, I mean, there's nothing... I, I would not be surprised if he picks up, especially some some act, some SAG actors. SAG, uh, Independent Spirit Award. I, I was thinking about Independent Spirit Award. I was also thinking about some um, Critic Circles Awards, uh, which would make a lot of sense to me. Because, again, it's a very good performance that I like a lot. Um, but I'm just... You know, again, kind of lukewarm on the movie as a whole. Um, but I, I am impressed with the writing of it. And by writing, I mean not the actual words on the page. I mean where scenes, how scenes flow into each other, which is uh, the, the perfect synthesis, I think, of directing and writing is how does a scene flow into a next scene. I, I think those are really good. Um, the scene with his ex-wife where we cut to a wide for a big reveal, and it's just like the movie acknowledging there's no way to capture this moment. I couldn't possibly tell you what this looks like. No one can tell you what this moment looks like. You're only ever going to be looking at it from the outside. Really like touches like that. Um, So, I mean, don't get me wrong. When I say, oh, it's just okay, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo it as a, you know, super run-of-the-mill because I think uh, Brett, the director, really does do some some interesting things, and I'm curious to see where his career goes after this because I'd like to see more. Yeah. Um, But, again, I still don't – I'm not going to – sing from the mountaintops that it's uh, you know a masterpiece I'm in the same boat I, I mean I like it a lot I, I really was emotionally touched by it uh, I do think the chemistry between Lee's character and Charlotte uh, works despite the fact that Charlotte I want being Laura's character Laura's character I would like to, a bit more emotional heft mm-hmm. uh, being carried in there as well I did want more of the daughter and the ex-wife as we've already said but that being said everything is done really well it is shot gorgeously there is this sort of Terrence Malick like feel to a lot of uh, mm-hmm. what's going on uh, with some of these wide shots, and uh, that nostalgia for the Western stuff is something that hits my buttons. There's a hangout. I thought about Malik, but more than Malik, I thought a lot about Linklater, because there's a very kind of hanging out quality to a lot of scenes that I enjoyed. Um, a lot of, like, really soft, warm light. Mm-hmm. Um, lighting in this movie, lighting choices in this movie, where, where scenes are lit from, where scenes are you know, put together and when certain light choices are made, I was really impressed with. Um, 
camera work wise, there's nothing super spectacular, but lighting and structurally, I, I really was kind of uh, touched and blown away by those aspects a, long, a couple of times. Is there anything else you feel you need to say about it? No, uh, I like it a lot. Coming soon to video on demand near you, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it'll be pretty limited release. I know it got distribution after it played at Sundance, but I can't remember uh, how big the distribution is. Yeah, I don't expect it to come close. I don't know who got it either because we're still watching a festival print, so there's no distributor stuff in front of it. Yeah, so, but so uh, I liked it. See. I, I, I liked it. Recommend for you? I, I would definitely recommend. I would. I would go more than a soft recommend too. Yeah. Um, okay. One final question: the ending. Yeah. Uh, we, we get an ending soft scene and an ending joke. Do you like the ending joke? I do. I like the ending joke a lot. I approve. Uh, what do you think about the ending moment before that? But, uh, the tight well, shot on his face and we get um, some dialogue about something else. We get a monologue about something else while we have a tight shot on his face. That, that, I, I liked it all. Yeah, I, I was think, good with it. Yeah. I liked, uh, th- there's a bold choice twice to use other people's words as your own art. Uh, real mixtape shit. Uh, that was that was that was a little high fidelity for yeah. you. Um, you got to be careful with that. But I like I like the choice. I think, I think it, it worked. Work. Yeah. I, I think smart choices are made about when and how to use other people's work for your art. Yeah, absolutely. And then the meta moment joke is very hilarious. Oh, the meta joke is super. There's two meta jokes that are incredible. Yeah. Um, that I really enjoyed. So, yeah, we both generally recommend uh, The Hero to you all, coming again soon to Video Demand near, near you, perhaps. Yeah, probably. All right, let's go watch more stuff. Okay, bye. Okay, well, here we are at Dead Center once again, and we are live and dirty, recording these as quickly as possible. And Dalton and I have both seen two movies, one we saw together and one we did not. So, we have words to say. Well, technically, I saw three. One of them was it comes at night which is not for dead center it just also happens to be at the theater where uh we're at harkins here in oklahoma city and uh it comes at night happened to have its wide release this weekend the same weekend as the festival so i was like well i gotta squeeze that in so i started the day off with that uh great i mean everything you've heard about it is true it's very good um and we'll just leave it at that because it's not really about the festival let's talk about dolores yeah we installed dolores which is a documentary about um dolores huerta who uh was a co-founder of the the farmers' rights movement in Southern California uh, in the mid '60s, uh, along with Cesar Chavez. Who you, you probably know a little bit more prominently. Uh, and the film it's about Dolores as a person. But it's also about why you don't know her name already. Right, because she's a co-founder, unsung of yeah that particular movement, and, and that's really tragic. And it really engages with that. And obviously, gender plays into that in a big way. I mean, if you didn't put the dots together on that. Uh, already for yourself without me telling you, then uh, this is probably a documentary you need to see. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it, it, she's a fascinating figure. She was really monumental in getting worker rights. You know, things like bathrooms, cold water, um, wages more than 90 cents an hour. Not getting dumped, uh, not getting DDT dumped on you. Yeah, maybe a day off. Occasionally. Those kind of things. You know, things that humans need. Yeah, and she made that happen. And it's it's really incredible. She's she's a really remarkable human being, and uh, is almost ninety years old, and is just full of life, uh, and is full of love, and compassion, and drive that I, I find really inspirational. And, and really just killing it. I think the the, the historical tidbit that I really loved uh, learning through all this is the Cesus Pueda, which is the uh, Yes We Can. Yep. Um, which Barack Obama took as his uh, 2008 campaign slogan, which mm-hmm. is interesting. 
And, uh, yeah, and finally giving her the credit for it. Um, although mistakenly given to Cesar Chavez at first. At one point. Which is what always happens. I mean, th- this is unfortunately how um, patriarchal uh, power structures work. Yeah. And I think the film engages that a lot. It's, it's a fairly standard documentary. A lot of talking heads, a lot of, a lot of archival footage. Uh, you know, structurally fairly standard. But, again, really engaging with... Uh, an important subject, yeah, an important it, figure. It fails to go ahead and be a hagiography because it does reveal some of the warts and criticisms and, you know, some of the problems that it she does, had. It does do that. It yeah. does a good job of, you know, presenting Dolores as a real human being. And just like all people, Dolores is flawed like any of us. Yeah. And she engages with that. Uh, and I thought that that was a, a, a part of the film that I really appreciated. You know, not only does the film reckon with uh, some of her demons, but she does. She's willing to talk about them, and I, I think she's. it's probably because she's at a point in her life where, you know, she she's had enough time to think about it that she can engage with those, those aspects of her life that she kind of regrets a little bit. Right, and these types of documentaries tend to try to avoid that, you know, and try to make a saint out of someone, and it doesn't do that, and I love that. I, I have really appreciated that. So let's let's talk about the, the films we saw separate from yeah. one another. You saw Cassette. I saw Cassette. Cassette. subtitle? It does which is gone out of my brain right now. But talk to me about Cassette. Cassette is a nostalgia piece about just the worst format ever for music, right? Yeah, and this is also a a documentary. It's also a documentary. It features Henry Rollins, Ian McKay Mm -hmm. from Fugazi slash Minor Threat. Yeah, baby. Uh, 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 Thurston from uh, Sonic Youth is in it. So, I mean, you know, a lot of heads that you want to see. Also, you know... Well, yeah, you you get them punk rock boys you love so much. And and, and Lou Otto, who you've never heard of. I've never heard that name. He invented the Cassette. Okay. Uh, wow. It was his idea, and there's a lot of him in there. Okay. And so we're talking about making tapes. Yeah, making tapes. Mixtapes. It's, it's really more about making mixtapes and having that format where you can put in the time and you make a mixtape, you give it to somebody, or you can use that format to DIY live record your band doing music. Well, this is the second time we, we've referenced uh, high fidelity in our dead center. I know, recordings. right? Uh, making art with other people's art, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, so it's a very, very cool thing. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a good nostalgia piece. And it's also about the idea of just physical media in general. Like, what is it to own a playlist on a cassette as opposed to someone makes you a playlist on Spotify? Yeah. It's a different animal that requires a greater, greater deal of attention in making the thing in the first place because mm-hmm. it's real-time investment mm-hmm. in putting it together. And also, um, there's real-time investment in hearing it because you don't have the sort of ADD, the Internet creation. Mm-hmm. In which, well, wow, that song reminds me of another song. Let me read. Let me just YouTube it real quick and listen to this other thing. You have to sit and listen to the whole of the tape. Yeah, which is a, which is a very very cool thing. It, it, it's a fun documentary. That skipping, I really skipping tracks is not an option. No, really, it's not. <laughs> uh, so, so you worked for you? Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Well, while you were watching that fluffy shit, uh, <laughs> I went and saw the work, which is less fluffy, significantly less fluffy. Uh, the work is a also a documentary. Uh, about a group therapy, intensive four-day group therapy session at Folsom Prison. Um, that It's about a group of men from who are not incarcerated uh, going to do this therapy with men who are incarcerated. Uh, and there's a group of facilitators there who, who lead this therapy. A lot of them are former uh, convicts. Um, you don't get a lot of background with facilitators, and I, I think that's interesting. The, I think the documentary knows that the subject is not the men who, who lead this work. It's about the men who do the work. Uh, and don't be wrong, the, the, the men who lead these group therapy sessions, they, they are featured a little bit, and they, they have some really beautiful things to say about why they do what they do. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about 
men working through their pain. Uh, and, you know, we just talked about Dolores and, and how the power structures of a patriarchal society can erase uh, women and, and their role in making change. And I think the work is kind of a, another interesting look at what that looks like, uh, what that kind of power structure looks like in the world. Uh, obviously, it's focused on how that patriarchal power structure impacts men, though. Yeah. Um, which is not always an easy thing to talk about, because it's like, but what about the men? And yes, I understand that that's where your head goes, like, well, a woe is you, you big baby. But uh, inequality fucks us all up, and it hurts all of us in different ways, and I think that, that that's what this film really focuses on, is a masculinity-obsessed culture and what that does to the emotional character of men who try to mold themselves into what they think society wants them to be and what they think society expects them to be and who who they want to be and the damaged ways in which they express how they want to be and the negative aura around the people that they've tried to build for themselves. Um, and it's, it's powerful. It's, it's kind of avant-garde. I mean, no talking heads. You get some very brief VO from the men going into Folsom. Um, the film's just kind of showing you as they're walking into Folsom Prison. You get a little VO that was probably recorded right before they went to walk in. Basically, just, why are you here? Yeah. And then after that, you're just a fly on the wall. Really? Yeah, the film doesn't do a whole lot of, like, cutting back and forth to things. You're just there living in this moment with these guys doing the work. So it's like going to a therapy session. It was like being in therapy for two hours, and I'm kind of I'm kind of emotionally drained. Uh, Dustin's about to go see uh, a, a bad thing gone wrong. A bad thing gone wrong, which I'm intrigued by, but honestly, I'm emotionally exhausted right now. And if I'm going to go see uh, Infinity Baby later tonight, I need a break. So that's what's happening. I'm going to take a break. Dustin's going to go see a bad thing gone wrong, and we'll check back in later. All right, we'll see you guys in a little bit. And hey, it's me, Dalton. I never start. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to always... Well, I'm doing it now. Okay. Uh, we're checking in again. Um, we've only seen one other movie, though, since we last checked in. So, ended up being a slow day. I needed to eat dinner real bad. And uh, Dustin started to see a good thing gone wrong and decided he needed a break. Yeah, I really did. You watch a lot of movies in one day. Sometimes it's just too much. It is. And that's that's why I took a break after um, uh, the work, which we just talked about. I was like, I gotta eat. Yeah. That was too much movie. Like I need to, I need to relax for a little bit. I took okay. the opportunity. I came home and took a took a nap and made dinner. Okay. I took the opportunity to drink a uh, toasted coconut uh, cold brewed coffee. That sounds really good. It was delicious. So after we took a break, we went and saw Infinity Baby uh, by Bob Bridington, I believe is yes. his last name, um, starring Kiernan Culkin, Megan Mullally. Nick Offerman. Uh, Nick Offerman, Martin Starr, Kevin Corrigan, who I love, um, and a couple of ladies whose name was I don't know off the top of my head, so I'm going to have to look them up. Noelle Wells, whose name I knew off the top of my head, but she's only in it for a bit. Uh, but the main uh, lady uh, is played by an actress named Triste Kelly Dunn. Um, she plays Allison, and she was great. She's the first thing I've ever seen her in. And she was great, yeah. I really liked her a lot. Uh, she's in United 93, apparently, which is really interesting. Uh, which means, yeah, she is older than I thought she was. Anyway, I'm not going to look at her filmography now. You don't care about that. But that's the movie we saw. 
ostensibly it is a, about a world in which there are uh, babies who never grow up. Um, that's not really what the movie's about, though. But, no. But it also is. So, um, Kieran Culkin uh, works for a company. Uh, it's a stem cell research company that accidentally made a thousand babies that are never going to grow older. They didn't mean to do this, uh, but they did. And now they're trying to kind of get people to watch them, either indefinitely or for like, you know, a couple of years at a time. Um, but that's really not what the movie's about. He just happens to work for them. It's not really about anything as a movie, plot-wise. It's about Arrested Development. Yeah, there's not really a plot, though. No. And if you're thinking, oh, God, another movie about a 20-something white guy who's living in a state of Arrested Development, it's not that either. Yeah, it's better than that. It's definitely not that at all. Um, it's definitely about white people, unfortunately. It is. Um, which, you know, but it's by... Um, a white director. Uh, it is by a Turkish American uh, writer, but you know, as a director, I think that makes sense. I, I'm honestly not one of those people who say independent films should be, rep- you know, these rep- these independent films have to be representational. No, I don't necessarily think so because they're more personal works of art. And I think if uh, a white filmmaker tries to make a film that's very specifically about uh, a different cultural experience, it's not going to be right. Right. Now I think. Big budget movies should be representational, obviously, because that's a large cultural product, right? That's different than a small work of art. I totally agree. So, anyway, I just want to get that out of the way early. There are no people of color in this film. No. No, not a one. Um, some in the background, but sure. no speaking lines. Um, but, but again, just want to get it out of the way. Um, but I, I don't fault Bob. Uh, I'm going to say call him Bob because that's easier to say than his last name. I don't fault him for doing that. No, it's, it's totally fine that he yeah. did. Yeah. And, uh, but I think it's interesting um, that with a, a Turkish-American uh, screenplay writer, who apparently Bob is very good friends with, um, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. But, again, let's get that out of the way up top. Yes, you've seen a lot of independent films about white people in a state of arrested development. But this, I think, touches on something different. It's weirder than that. It's not your kind of typical coming-of-age dramedy. Right. Well, but what it becomes, I think, that makes it interesting is that it is about cultural arrested development as well. For sure. And I think that's much more interesting. And that's kind of why I, I vibe with it quite hard. Um, it's also really beautifully shot. Yeah. Um, Black and white photography is pretty good. Uh, which apparently was uh, a, a two-fold choice. Number one, it fit the surrealist tone of the dialogue and the story. Uh, but also as a budget consideration, you know, when you don't have a lot to work with, black and white looks better. Hey, the reason why Wes Anderson's able to make everything look pink in a scene is because he can afford someone to make everything in pink. Yeah. And when you're making a movie for, I'm going to guess this was maybe a million dollar movie. At maybe. The most. I know. They only had one camera, but they had an Alexa, which is a 4K camera, and that's a lot of money right there. Right. I guarantee you Mulally and Offerman and Martin Starr, like anybody who's, like Martin Starr is on an HBO show. Um, he doesn't need money. All these people, Kieran Culkin's got some kid money. Um, nobody's here because they have to be. So I think everybody's probably working for scale. At least the bigger names are for sure. Um, but that doesn't mean anybody's phoning it in. Right, but, and uh, nobody is. And I think every, I mean, they really milk whatever money they did have. I, they milk it. I think every penny of it's up there on the screen. I don't think anything got left on the floor. Um, it looks really good. That, and that, that really helped me be pulled into it a little bit more uh, and appreciate this kind of surrealist uh, quirky thing we had. Right, which is why... It's not quirky. I don't know why I use that word. No, quirky's not the right word. No, it's not at all. Absurd. 
Yeah, absurdist. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I really like that we were talking off, off mic, and I, as you know, dear listener, as you surely have picked up, and I think maybe I've said it, maybe I haven't, uh, I don't really jive with comedy as a rule, as, as far as film goes. I like to laugh, I like humor. No, see, I know you like stand-up, but yeah, you don't really like comedy films very much. Yeah, no, I'm just not, not usually my bag, and this one I liked. It was yeah. a lot of fun. And again, it's, it's not super joke-heavy either, though. I mean, it's mo- really moments are, the dialogue is not funny. Moments are funny. Right. Um, I mean, there is some, some, some good jokes in it, but most of, the, most of the jokes are visual. Like, Nick Offerman has a, a, a thing that looks like a dictation device. It's actually like an intercom system, and then it's also a weed pipe. Yeah. And it's just it's a really funny. A weird, and he's like this important CEO who just like has a combo weed pipe uh, communicator in his boardroom. Yeah, we it's sure have been watching Nick Offerman smoke a lot of weed this week. Wow, really? We have we just a ton. <laughs> he smoked a lot of. Weed. I was I laughed really hard when that happened because of how much weed he smoked in the hero. Right. Um, just a, that was just a real treat. But again, uh, the, the humor is is of that nature, and um, I think if, if you like weird stuff, this is for you. Absolutely, I, I really dug it. Uh, it also just has some really interesting things to say about the way misogyny can infect uh, interpersonal romantic relationships. Um, and I really liked that. Um, because I, I don't know that there are that many movies that address that. The way I think there's movies that really address larger cultural misogyny. Um, but I, I can't think of a lot of movies off the top of my head that address the way those cultural things can infect your relationships with other people. I, I can only think of a handful off the top of my head. Um, but not a lot. I Actually, no. I'm struggling to think of any at the moment. I, I can't think of anything offhand, though. No. So, I mean, if if for only that, I think Infinity Baby is a must-see. Yeah. Um, I, I would definitely watch it again. I was really excited to hear it got a distribution deal with Amazon. That was really exciting to hear that. We got to watch a very brief Q&A with the director. Um, Speaking of weird. Very funny guy. Yeah, very like funny guy. Uh, he reminds me a lot of friend of Good Trash Media, Nick Sanford. Um, we got a real sensibility about him that I dig. Um that's not even asking questions. That's not our deal. No. I, I like I like to do interviews. I don't I don't like to throw a, a one off at somebody. I like to get to know them. That's not my my deal. Um, so we didn't ask anything, but uh, n- nothing super interesting to talk about. Some production stuff that was kind of cool. Uh, there there was one moment that I, I appreciated uh, where uh, an audience member had an interpretation the director didn't have, and Bob was like, "That hadn't occurred to me, but I like that." Like, he, he intentionally was like, I'm not going to take that away from you. Yeah. I, I love it when a director doesn't invalidate uh, somebody else's reaction to their art. Um, who, who, who'd you like the most? Who did I like the most? This is a most? movie where the protagonist is a shit. Yeah, I, I, I liked, I don't know the actor or the character's name, I liked the uh, alcoholic who... Uh, Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan. Larry. Larry, Is yeah. the, the character's name. Yeah, I love Kevin Ooh, Corrigan. Yeah, he's really funny to me. Yeah, he's very good. Uh, I really like Martin Starr. Um, I like Martin Starr and everything, uh, but I really like, he's got a scene at the end of the film that I think is terrific. Yeah. And I really liked his... It showed some range. He's very good. Uh, the the thing he was doing at the start of the movie, um, that's that's not the extent of... I know he's very limited throughout the movie, but trust me, he's this dude knows what he's doing. Um if you're obviously, I'm sure most of you are familiar with Martin Starr. If you're not, uh, he is on a he's Guilfoyle on HBO's uh, Silicon Valley. Um, he has breakout um, in Freaks and Geeks when he was a teenager, and he, I mean he he did I think grown up ass work when he was 15 years old. I mean he's that good. Um, 
but th- those are probably the two most prominent things that a lot of people know him from. Yeah. Um, he was in Adventureland. He's quite good. But anyway, I, I, he was my favorite. I really dug um, that his character and his performance. I like Jeremy Culkin's performance a lot. Yeah, I, yeah, he was great. I was so excited to see him. That's why we went and saw this. I saw him with anybody because Kieran Culkin's in it because I like him so much. And I went because you made me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm glad you did, though. No, I'm glad uh, I did, too. The director, Bob, mentioned that apparently he wanted to get Kieran Culkin something because he never sees him in anything. And he was like... This guy doesn't get enough work. Well, it turns out, I guess, Kieran Culkin is super particular about what he chooses to do. And that makes sense, because I think all the things that he's chosen to do are very interesting. Uh, this film, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, Lead Goes Down, like, those are good films right. that I just mentioned. I will give this, as far as our recommend goes, for our warning to dear listeners, there's not going to be a character... I mean, there are going to be a couple of characters that are definitely uh, likable. Yes, there's going to be a character. All, all of whom are women. Yeah, the most likable characters are women. That's how you know the film's not misogynist. Yeah. Uh, but that being said, um, our main character focuses in the film are going to be men, mm-hmm. and none of them is very likable. No. The, the lead Except is for Mar- uh, Star, what's Martin Starr. Martin Starr, uh, the last of the movie. I think you like him better. He's but. quite likable. Um, well, and I think it's balanced by the fact that him and Kevin Corgan's character are in a relationship with each other. And mm-hmm. I think it kind of helps balance out... Um, Men being real shitty uh, in such close proximity to women so frequently uh, can be irritating uh, in a lot of films, but I, if the film doesn't know what it's doing, and I think this does. And again, I think uh, Martin Starr and Kevin Corrigan, uh, their relationship kind of helps mitigate that, and I think the the way the film feels about um, Kieran Culkin's character, Ben, helps mitigate that a lot, too. And he's always wrong. Um, Bob specifically mentioned that he had a lot of affection for him as a character, and you mentioned that Karen Culkin didn't like him as a character very much. Um, and I think that that shows in the film. Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know that I would have picked up on it if he hadn't told that story, but it makes perfect sense. No, I certainly sense. wouldn't have. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know? um, because he's not... He, he is unlikable, but he's not a bad person. He's just kind of shit. Like, he, he is endearing in some respects, though. But I think the film knows that he's wrong. Yeah. The film knows that he's has bad opinions. Yeah. And, and that that's how it uh, you know you can you can represent misogyny without endorsing misogyny. Absolutely. And this is a film that's absolutely doing that thing where it is mm-hmm. re- representing it but it is doing so in order to lamp. And we learned that the original title was The Misogynists, which, which is completely makes sense 100%. Um, I, I like Infinity Baby better though. It's a much better choice. Yes. There are babies uh, who are literally not growing up in this film. Obviously it is clearly Metaphorical. referencing Ben. Yeah. Like 100%. But as you mentioned earlier, I think it, it is mentioned. It, it's also culture, which is uh, re- refusing to age. Um, we were talking a little bit off mic about uh, the, the way in which, uh, specifically, American culture really abhors uh, entropy, mm-hmm. and I, I think this film really keys in on that. Um, the, the way we want stasis, the way we crave um, an equilibrium, but by its very nature, equilibrium has to shift. So, and I really appreciated uh, the way Infinity Baby engaged with that. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It was a movie I really, really enjoyed. And again, comedy not being my jam, yeah. that's that's saying something, I think. Uh, I think probably, at this point, my, my second favorite film of the festival so far. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I mean, the work is fabulous and is just operating at such a higher level than anything I've seen. I think it's my favorite one so far. But Infinity, this is your favorite so far? I think so far, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I like Dolores. We both like Dolores quite a bit, but it's it's not inventive in ways that this film was. No. Um, and, and again, I, I think inventiveness gets you a long way sometimes. Plus, I lean harder towards narrative film in general. Um, just that's who I am. 
I will say this much, though, as we're, we're starting to wrap this up and doing a recap. Uh, one thing that didn't We have two more tomorrow. We have two more tomorrow. Two movies I haven't talked about are two shorts I saw. Okay. On the front end of I Stand, Guardians of the Water. Yeah. Uh, Running Eagle and uh, Can You Dig This? Uh, Can You Dig This Dirt? Can You Dig This Dirt? It's about an artist. Um, it's, it's, it's a fun little documentary. But Running Eagle uh, was a very desperately sad, uh, probably six-minute short, mm-hmm. you know, about an exploited woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it's, it's something that I really, really enjoyed uh, quite a bit. And I just want to give a shout-out to that because I hadn't done so at all. Here's the thing that I'm going to say in the off chance that anybody from Dead Center's programming board is listening to this, uh, I wouldn't mind more shorts in front of features. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm interested in the, the short blocks, but if my choice is between a narrative film and a short block, I'm going to or a, a feature um, versus a short block, I'm going to go with feature every time. I just am. Um, so I wouldn't mind a short or two like that is thematically uh, related. Uh, well, I like that in terms of programming. That's something I, do too. I find interesting. I like, I like a thematically related short or two before the feature. I'm yeah. into that in a big way. Well, I'd love to see uh, a film festival organized around a theme. I mean, I think that's a fun thing to do. Yeah. Well, and uh, Dead Center's not that festival. Not that festival. Then it's fine that it isn't. No, no I don't think it should be. Um, I, I like that it, it showcases a lot of different stuff. Uh, I just think that would be fun. But I, I think you can block it, too. You can. But anyway, it, that, that's just in the off chance that anybody from Dead Center's hearing this. Uh, I like the short blocks, but you know, maybe throw one or two in front of a in front of a feature. Absolutely, absolutely. Because yeah, Dalton and I are both just watching features this week. So. Yeah, not, I'm not going to have time to go to the blocks. I heard some really good things uh, about a couple of them. Um, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. So um, that's it for today. That's day two of Dead Center. Yeah, um, we would tell you what we're going to watch tomorrow, but you know what? We don't plan that far ahead. Yeah. I don't even buy green bananas, but I have learned something. What's that? Well, if you're going to get anything done. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to kill some babies. That's, that's what, what my good friend Dick Cheney once said. Yeah. Well, that's what my good friend Nick Offerman said, and his good friend Dick Cheney told him that. Yeah. Joke of the movie. Best, best joke. All right. Bye-bye. See ya.
It's really just that sweet. 